This image here is uh, likely to evoke the association of the stereotypical witch. So is probably this image here. But these women are not witches, actually. These are early images of Brewster's alewives. Women who were the masters of and owners of one of the most important animist crafts, the brewing of beer, the distilling of the vessel of relation. And the power in this craft is probably the reason that exactly these, uh, these women came to be very intensively demonized. And that is the reason that the, the stereo, or probably the reason that the stereotypical image of the witch in Europe is likely based on or connected to the image of the Brewster. Perhaps in the 16th century, you would have an older woman, perhaps, typically with a tall hat, fashion of the, t uh, of the time, signaling that she was making beer so people in the marketplace could see her, marking with a broom over the door that she had a finished beer, and standing there with a big cauldron, bubbling and seething of some obscure magical processes that are necessary to produce the intoxicating vessel of cosmic relation, the binding force of animacy itself, Alu, right? So this is the second video in my Alu series, and it's about the gender of beer. Check this out, by the way. I got it from my friend Elstis, who has this little jewelry shop in uh, in uh, Copenhagen, small shop uh, with like a lot loads of awesome stuff. You know, it's I think it's really rare to see people who make stuff which is like that rock and roll and that Viking while being really tasteful. That's a rare combination. So go and check out Gallery Elstis and uh, buy your stuff from small businesses like that. Cool. This is the second video in my auto series. And it uh, looks at the history of gender in connection with beer, with ale, right? The story of how this women's business, the distilling of ale, the vessel of relation out of the products of, uh, products of the earth, how that story is related to the witch hunts and how that struggle for patriarchy and this like gender side almost probably played a role in taking beer brewing from being women's business and women's power over the deep patterns of creation in North European animism to become this rationalized industrial patriarchal project. Cool. So, when the hero Beowulf arrives in the hall of Hrothgar and is seated at the feast, something really iconic happens. The poet says, through the hall went Helming's lady to younger and older everywhere, carried the cup to come the moment where the ring-graced queen, the royal-hearted, to Beowulf bore the beaker of meat. This is a scene which is parallel to what is found on Gotlandic picture stones, the image of a, a woman bringing an alcoholic drink uh, typically to uh, an arriving warrior, something like that. And I th this is a foundational ceremonial act, which is also reflected in initiatory aspects of Nordic myth. I think it is one of the oldest and most pervasive images of Northern uh, Europe, the queen or the woman of the house 
holding and bringing this the alcoholic drink. And to our eyes, our contemporary eyes, this image could seem almost patriarchal in itself. You know, a little bit like, go get the beer, woman. <laughs> you know, uh, but I don't think we should let this very contemporary expectation of gender roles uh, in our own time sort of thwart what's actually going on in these relatings with Beowulf and on the Atlantic picture stones and in these old figurines, you know, who show a female bringing a horn or a cup or something like that. This motif has really deep roots, and I mean really deep roots. It's associated with uh, foundational sexual symbolisms where in Nordic cosmology, where you have a lot of different rod-like symbolisms and cob-like symbolisms, uh, trees standing by wells, cups, cauldrons, rods, spears, distaffs, all these things. And the image of the goddess or the female figure bringing the cup, that is an image that dialogues with these deep sexual cosmologies and, the, and therefore I think it runs through our culture from deep initiatory meanings uh, and I think it is perhaps most spectacularly developed in the, in the myth of Sutung's meat, the Sutunga Myodr, where Odin transforms into a serpent in order to penetrate into the underworld, where he seduces the three cups with the meat of wisdom from the troll woman or uh, Jotun woman, Gunlader, right? There's also the Hindlulyod, where the initiant otter is given a drink. I really recommend reading that stuff. It's weird. Uh, I uh, also think it's the same motif as found in the Sigurdrimamal. Um, and uh, yeah, I particularly recommend Maria Kielhauk's reading and thinking on this. In my view, most central element of all Nordic myth, basically. But this role of a female giver of the initiatory drink of wisdom, that is only one aspect, actually. The thing is that that ale, beer, alu, uh, that is the vessel of connectedness in a very general and perhaps even everyday-like way. It's, it's actually it's a little bit different from meat. Like meat also has sacrality, but like my intuition is that it seems much more godlike. You know, it's brought by bees that can, it can emerge spontaneously in nature. This is as if it comes from the heavens and is as if it's closer to the, the gods where beer is much more earthly. It comes from the earth and it doesn't just emerge from a piece of beehive falling into some rainwater, you know, into in a clifted branch or something. It requires all the human skill and ingenuity to lure and cajole and force and seduce and invoke the spirits of the earth, you know, out of the earth, earth's produce, the barley, and into this drink. And and uh, the beer also becomes this very everyday thing, you know, that it's it, it is a thing that's always there. Now, I worked once uh, together with my father and, and our neighbor who's a carpenter uh, and we were just fixing a roof uh, somewhere together with this carpenter and carpenters they are actually um, it's a kind of uh, work that was never subjected to capitalist policing <laughs> which is why they they don't drink coffee like school teachers they drink coffee, carpenters drink beer, and they drink beer every day and in kind of a smooth, all, all day, you know, at least Danish carpenters did when we did that 
you know, and you work hard on a whole, a whole day, you get a little bit of a mild intoxication, kind of works for me. It's almost as if you were running on beer a whole day. And that was, I think, an image of how it was in the old day, days. I think people drank beer uh, when they met, when they celebrated. And uh, as described in my first video on beer, um, uh, I think beer was that element that connected everything. Uh, I became aware of the absolute awesomeness of this topic, beer, uh, when I was listening to a podcast by Eric Storeson, uh, the Boot Norse podcast, where he talked about uh, beer, and he's mentioned this incredible stuff, like priest in the, priests in the recently Christianized Norway who would baptize their babies in beer, and the Pope totally choking on his morning coffee that morning when he heard this and immediately excommunicated every single poor Norwegian who had been exposed to this pagan devilry, you know. To these people, beer was just the sacred liquid per se, you know. And it, this immediately transferred into Christian ritual. So the ancient heathen toasting rituals were transferred into all kinds of toasting for saints and Jesuses and Marys and whatnot. Um... There's a story in a saga where a Christian king visits um, heathen peasants and they get really angry with him and almost kill him for the sin of not participating in the prescribed way in a ritual toasting. Uh, in ritual toasting. <laughs> the beer was serious business. There's a life thread of the culture. Imagine that people would aggressively turn on their king for not handling it in the correct prescribed way in a ritual situation. Think about that. So originally, uh, the craft of creating this vessel of cosmic connectedness was a female competence area, which is why uh, the image of the, the queen bringing the cop to Beowulf is in fact not parallel to some uh, male chauvinist dude just saying, bring me my beer, woman. <laughs> it, it's not. Uh, there is a logic in the, the ownership of the woman over the, the vessel of connectedness. And I think it's a cosmological logic. You know, the, 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 the woman owns the secret of the social binding uh, force, basically. And I'm sure not, not sure exactly what that logic is, Perhaps because I'm a man, you know. But um, but but basically, brewing beer was women's business, and in many places it just remained that way. Uh, my father grew up in a in part of the island Funen, where home brewing and farms persisted. And uh, a childhood friend of of his told him that uh, he had dire struggle, dire problems getting his mother to give him the recipe for brewing beer. She didn't want to share it, you know, and she was an old farm wife who who had the the uh, the brewing tradition. Um, but in much of Europe, this particular thing changed, and it changed in a really decisive and very targeted way. Because from the 14th to, to, to the 17th century, what happened was that there's this uh, misogynist motif that starts emerging of the older woman as the evil hag, the loathly lady. 
And you see this in English Renaissance literature. Uh, I think England is important in this respect because it's sort of it's part of the Nordic sphere, and it's also a very beer-consuming place, a bit like Denmark, Germany, Norway, and so on. And and here you see this emergence of the the loathly lady as an ale wife. The elderly lady as a villain might go further back in time as well. You have figures like Grendel's mother and Beowulf and so on. Um, uh, but 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 it, it, it starts being associated with with ale with brewing, right? Um, so uh, you, you see old hags in in Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, and you see that Chaucer and and so on. The Tudor uh, poet John Skelton, uh, Skelton, he introduces a hag which is mixing hen droppings in her ale mash. Uh, and in the uh, Elizabethan period, uh, there, there's this hag type called Mother Bunch, and she makes slimy ale, and uh, she's an actual alewife, a brewster, and a witch at the same time. So this association between brewsters and, and, and witches emerges in the late 16th century in England, Elizabethan England. Um, I got some of this from uh, Averill Earls, a gender scholar who has looked a, a little bit at, at some of this, and I recommend listening to a podcast um, where uh, where she's uh, talking about this this topic here, and uh, she makes a point that is very related to the work of um, the. Um, uh, scholar Silvia Federici, who has worked on the witch hunts. According to Federici's analysis of the witch hunts, they were basically a struggle uh, connected to the transition between the feudalist and the capitalist world system. And in this transition, women's ownership and position is literally reduced by this murderous attack, actually, on which to a large extent, targeted economically independent women. We, we tend to imagine that things are on this sort of steadily improving uh, progression, uh, but they aren't. Uh, and, and this is an example. Women's right, rights were significantly rolled back in the transition between the feudalist system in Europe and the capitalist system that, that followed. Um, and this was basically an important aspects of, of, of the witch hunts, according to Federici. And beer would have been a super example of this, because beer uh, was profitable and it could make uh, a woman uh, independent, economically independent. However, it should just be said that there is not actually any data on alewives being a, a significant proportion of the people who are actually exposed to uh, witchcraft uh, accusations. Uh, perhaps more research is needed on that, perhaps it isn't the case, uh, but whether or not this can be documented perhaps at some point in the future, um, the facts still will stand that one, beer brewing was a female competence field that had the potential for making women economically independent, exactly the kind of activity that was a prime target of witch hunts. Two, the alewife, the Brewster, as a social figure, seems to have been conflated almost completely with the witch as a social imagination. So this economic activity, when it was done by women, was all but completely identified with this basically punishable by death crime, witchcraft. And 
three, brewing did end up on male hands, even in parts of Europe where uh, this particular demonization was not as explicit as, for instance, in England. Um, I would also just add that the, uh, the animist symbolism and ritual connected to brewing, uh, you know, when you look at them, it is as if they have a decidedly witchy air to them, at least to my perception. But, uh, but I'll get back to that. So, through the 16th century, brewing had uh, been established in male guilds that excluded women. And uh, this became, brewing became profitable. And the scholars who are talking about this, they talk about the patriarchal uh, professionalization of brewing that, uh, that happened there. Um, and this change in ownership is mirrored by the fact that through this period, period people totally loved to hate Brewsters. The earliest depiction, uh, depictions of Brewsters and ballots and pamphlets accuse these women of lying and cheating and to, in order to get better prices out of their weak and adulterated ales. And some women were accused of tainting the ale with all kinds of disgusting things. And people said that they spat in the brew and stirred it with dirty hands and let their snot and sweat drip into it. And they were considered as sexually uncontrolled representatives of beastly lusts and foul delights. And um, the popular literature actually started to express fear of uh, alewives. Brewsters were generally characterized as liars, cheaters, temptresses, whores, and witches. Right? It's quite extreme. You know? and, and this would have made perhaps an older woman, perhaps a widowed woman, you know, uh, who, who was trying to work as an economically independent through brewing, this whole hate campaign would have made such a person very, very vulnerable to witchcraft charges. So here's an example of this imagery, and this is uh, Mother Louse. Uh, you'll notice that she has a crest with lice in it to kind of symbolize her filthy poverty uh, situation there. Um, and it's important to note that all this rather extreme condemnation was never targeted at male brewers at all. So whether or not actual alewives were actually burned at the stake uh, uh, for it, it's pretty certain that this hate campaign must have paved the way for the gender change in, 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 in brewing beer. Um, However, this, this extreme condemnation didn't happen in the same way all over the place. Uh, I don't think it really happened in Scandinavia. Um, and uh, in, in, where you, you can even find home brewing today in some locations. In Norway, for instance, uh, there has been a very strong tradition for home brewing. Uh, and I think some people still do it. Uh, though I'm not so familiar with it in Norway. In Denmark, you find it sporadically. Uh, particularly on the island of Funen. Uh, and um, you can find people uh, like um, a woman called Lotte Winge that I actually met. She lives on her family farm in, in the island of Moon. And she's the real shit, you know. She was taught brewing by her grandmother uh, and she took over the family farm in this incredibly beautiful and magical landscape on that island down there. And... Um, I'll link to a small video where she's talking about her craft. It's in Danish, unfortunately. 
Um, but her, her grandmother would not allow men into the brewing process. And she had some weird explanation for that. And, uh, and Lotte told me that if the thunder was coming while her grandmother was, was brewing, uh, then the old woman would go out to the dolmen on their lands, this kind of Stone Age burial site that was on their, on their fields outside the farm. And she would read over the beer uh, by these old stones. And I was like, okay, so what was she reading? You know, <laughs> and Lotte didn't know. Uh, or perhaps she wouldn't tell me, you know, <laughs> but, um, but, but, but however, you know, these remnants of tradition might be, I still think that, that these traditions in Scandinavia are characterized by one, like a very high levels of disenchantment uh, in, in Northern Europe. Scandinavians are very much not animist today, not very high levels of an, animism in, in Scandinavia. And uh, um, two, uh, by the fact that professionalization of beer brewing has also characterized Scandinavia. It's almost impossible to find female uh, professional brewers. Uh, I know, because I've looked for them. And uh, significantly, it's not Lotte Winges tradition that you find in the Danish brewer industry. It is a lot of industrialized, professionalized breweries, totally dominated by males. Um, I think that the witch accusation against alewives are indeed partly motivated by these shifts in, in gender power. But this is also an aspect of modernization, actually. Or perhaps rather that these things are very tightly interconnected. Beer brewing is a craft that is owned by women and it produces social connection, cosmic interconnectedness, right? And uh, alewives as well as these ideas of how they're mi mixing disgusting things in the brew and all that, you know, spitting in it and whatnot, I think it has a little bit of that flavor as the, of that kind of male fear of the female physical power or the embodied woman power somehow. A little bit like the thing about witches probably use menstrual blood to kind of charm you or something like that. You know, has a little bit of that flavor to it. And I also think that the association with witchcraft is so rooted in judgmental rejection of animist culture that it almost turns 180 degrees and becomes precise again. Because what exactly is a witch if not a person who upholds an animist practice under the demonization of clerics and elites? You know? And what is more animist than exactly this product? Alu, beer, the vessel of cosmic connectedness. And if you look at some of the rituals that have been connected with brewing, uh, it you know it's it's not just it's not just the fact that there is a brew and it's in a big cauldron and there's a lot of bubble bubble toil and trouble going on in there and perhaps there's an older woman who does it you know it's not just that there's also something about these rituals that that you sometimes come across in relation with with uh, brewing, uh, growing, harvesting these things that. You know, for lack of better word, they kind of make my witchy sensors ping, you know. Uh, consider ritual recorded in Funan, actually, uh, to empower the cauldron for brewing, where the brewing maids were supposed to fight over a silver piece, and the ferocity of their fighting would give power to the cauldron for brewing. 
and the astonished folklorist. He recorded that they fought in Bacchanalian rage, you know. <laughs> or consider uh, the possible cultural background to John Barleycorn, this amazingly beautiful English lament for the death of the barley. And I think that this lament of the death of the, of the crop god serves to call the, co- the crop god back, call him up. And this might be paralleled in stuff like the Adonia, where Athenian women in ancient Greeks, they took to the rooftops of their houses where they ritually mourned the death of Adonis in connection with ritual planting of little ceremonial gardens in secret without any men being there. So the Athenian women, they danced and sang and probably all kinds of stuff took place there, right? As they revived the cyclicity of the world with the mourning about the violence of life, that violence on the crops, you know. And, and a lot of stuff could be said about this. Let me just mention Baldur in that respect. The goddess Frigg, she makes the whole world mourn Baldur. In the story, that actually fails because the world is broken. So the healing in the return of Baldur is blocked by an agent that refuses to participate in the mourning, right? But it parallels the way that Persephone is in, the, in, in the Hades, and she's mourned by Demeter, her mother, in order for her to come back from the underworld as the crops that, that have been killed and must return, you know. And I think the uh, John Barleycorn lament has a little bit of that feeling to it. And it might just be me, but yeah, these, uh, these kind of rituals, they just seem a little bit witchy to me. All these kind of all-female rituals of dancing and mourning and fighting and whatnot, you know. I think they're deeply animist motifs, um, and uh, this uh, incredibly beautiful aspect, this idea of the lament that mourns the death that gives birth to more life, um, and, and in this case, the barley. Perhaps the lament also calls the intoxicating force, the spirits, up into the barley somehow. What do I know? But uh, yeah, uh, I hope that I'll be able to try to bring some of this stuff to, li- to life uh, together with uh, the good people at Øksnegård in, in Jutland, uh, Mette and uh, Robin, and who I'm working on with the Arlo project. And um, we've already sown the barley and started performing the necessary animist rituals uh, uh, around the whole production of our Arlo. And uh, I haven't had time to edit and to show you the the sewing ritual that we actually did uh, on uh, uh, with the stuff. But uh, here are a couple of images of uh, how it looks over there, of our sewing. And uh, the barley has uh, sprouted just fine. So John Barleycorn has raised his head, you know. And uh, our plan is to produce proper animist aloo again. And our plan is that we will use it uh, at a ritual that we are planning to do on January 6th in 2023, uh, which is the Yule Moon that, that opens the Aun year and uh, the first Aun celebration of, of that year. And I suggest uh, uh, checking out my playlist on the uh, Aun year celebration, the octennially recurrent uh, rituals of healing, which um, uh, happens uh, next year in uh, 2023. Cool. So thanks for uh, watching and see you, see you back in the Arlo series uh, next time. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to work more on this absolutely amazing project. So see you all around.
My name is Rune Jane Rasmus. The work that I'm sharing with you on this channel focuses on recovering Euro traditional animist knowledge. This is the fruit of a life of study and research all over the world, and I hold a doctorate from the oldest university in the Nordic region, but I'm choosing to popularize rather than to focus on academic publication. Conventional institutions, however, have yet to warm up properly to my perspective. So if you appreciate what I do, then please do consider that I also need to feed my family. Uh, for the price of less than one beer per month, you can become a patron supporter, or you can head over to my web shop and enter into exchange relation with me. You can also give single donations to my PayPal account, or if you have contact with someone that might help me project this incredibly important perspective to the world, then do drop me a PM. And uh, remember also to clickety-click and subscribe, follow, share, comment and all that. Thank you very much. Yeah.